0: Welcome to Advisor Tech Unplugged, the monthly podcast brought to you by MoneyInfo, the client portal and mobile app supplier for financial advisors and wealth managers. This podcast is designed to help address the challenges of the 21st century advisor. Each month, we invite a special guest to talk to us about current topics affecting their area of expertise in the advisor tech space. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or general feedback, get in touch with us by email at support at moneyinfo.com or tweet us at moneyinfo
1: Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of the money info advisor tech podcast. Um, I'm Tess Lee, I'm managing director of money info and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Marsh. Dan is head of customer at Seckle and today we're going to be talking about how they help advice firms build strong and sustainable businesses. So first off, hi Dan, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing right. thanks Tess, very good indeed. Yourself?
1: Yeah very well thank you, great to have you on the podcast today. So uh, before we kind of get cracking into a bit more of the detail here, tell us um, our listeners a little bit about you and what you do and also uh, about Seckle for those of, the, those of them that might not know too much about you yet.
0: Of course yeah 100% so um, I mean I think just very briefly on myself so I've um, I've been at Seckle now two years so I, I joined Seckle. Um, when we when Octopus acquired Seckle so I'm originally uh, from Octopus myself. Um, Seckle, I mostly look after our teams that relate to either our customers or to our commercial uh, business as well. So it's all about people. So that whether that's people my team or the people who work at our customers, that's where I spend all my time and all my thoughts. Um, prior to Sekel, um, I actually worked setting up a couple of businesses in Octopus, so um, set up an advice business, I'm going to advise myself by trade, um, and then also set up a few other businesses prior to that uh, on, inside the Octopus group. Um, so that, that's me uh, in, in, in sort of one minute-er. um On the, on the SECL side, though, and I think that's where hopefully this will be a lot more interesting to your, to your listeners, is so Secl fundamentally is actually almost a convergence of two slightly different Uh, thought processes that end at the same place. The first one is is actually slightly before my time, so it's two founders of Sepple, a guy called Hugo Thorman, um, who many of your listeners may know as the founder of Eccentric and James Hay, Um, and then also uh, Dave Harvey, uh, who is our other co-founder, who is on the technical side, so he built much of the systems that are used uh, by a number of platforms, but particularly by Eccentric as well, Uh, and they both kind of came to a similar conclusion, which is that the the challenge in the market historically has been that for advice firms or for any business to operate a platform they have to actually uh, take on one of a number of fairly expensive quite clunky technology solutions unless they decide to build it themselves which is uh, no no mean feat um and then the challenge becomes off the back of that that not only do you have to bring in this, this sort of technology suite you then also have to um to staff it as well with with quite a large number operational users as well so so the end outcome is that in the market there's only really a few platforms and those platforms are never really run by the advisors themselves and the vision was well actually hang on a second whenever a client responds to a survey to say which parts of their experience they love it's always the relationship with the advisor and so wouldn't it make more sense if someone could allow financial advisors and dfms with the right permissions to operate their own platform and that's really the genesis of where sackle came from um, and SECL as a, as a very high level. SECL basically provides two services that allow advisors and DFMs to operate their own investment platforms.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and it's pretty unique in the market, isn't it, what you do and the, the approach that you take to it? And, and it'd be interesting to, to learn a little bit more about that, I think, because... Like you said, right at the start there, there are some challenges with running your own platform, not least that there's probably what you would say is a misconception now that you need a lot of people to do it. Um, mm. How would you, how would you answer that?
0: It's, it's a good couple of questions. actually. just taking, taking the first one there. So, you know, is, is this a, a new, new market? Um, actually it's not what, what's, what's new about it is the size of business that can engage with it. So, Actually, there are a number of uh, large vertically integrated firms that have been running their own platforms for years. And they've been partnering with the likes of Pershings or SEI, someone like that,
1: yeah. who,
0: uh, whose technology means they can only serve businesses of a certain scale. And actually, what we've done here at settlers is we basically brought that from a couple of billion down to a couple of hundred million. And so that's very much the first part. And as you say, I think that there's also a, a, big, a big misconception in two areas, one around, around service, which is, well, surely surely big companies get service right. And I think this one's the easiest to dispel because you just have to speak to any advisor who currently deals with the platform and, and they'll probably say that's not always the case. Um, some are obviously really good at it, um, but there are others who, for whom service isn't that necessarily their, um, their strongest suit. Um, but then the other thing I think that's, again, another misconception is that operating a platform by necessity has to be difficult. And by necessity, it has to have lots and lots of people involved in it. I think if you're using old technology, um, it is more complicated because you actually need to support systems that don't quite work with people. And the more people you add to any processes, I'm sure most businesses will have encountered in their own hiring plans. The more people you add, the harder it is to make change. Mm. And so the, sl- the the harder it is to make change, the slower you move, the slower you move, the more quickly you become outdated. And so with, with our technology, actually, we've, we've found that I don't think any of our platforms have really hired anyone particularly to run it. Um, and initially, to be honest, we thought Two years ago i mean i, I was saying oh you'll definitely need to hire someone to do this and that may well still be the case i don't think i have critical enough mass to know for sure mm-hmm. um but certainly in the platforms that are operating at the moment what they've actually almost done is reassigned people who used to interact with the platforms that they were already using and actually just placed them with more of a focus on their own um and so it's, it's more a reassigning i think of resource than by necessity adding a, a huge chunk of extra
1: uh, duplication. Uh, of course that makes sense and And what would you say, I mean, you, you, you're a qualified advisor yourself. So you've got that background, which must massively help you in developing Mm -hmm. out this proposition and in working with your clients to, um, to, to get this right. What would you say, you know, from an advisor's perspective, what, what's in it for them? What's the key benefits that they pull out of running their own platform other than, you know, a more, you know, modern technology experience and the things that you've talked about, what are the key things that that's in it for them?
0: Yes, it's a good good question. I think if I start with what I thought was going to be in it when I started this journey all those years ago, Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: thought the most important thing was going to be margin, or at least it was going to be up there. Mm. And it it really isn't. And I've been so delighted to have so many conversations with advisors for whom the things that they really, really care about, which match my own values and the values we have here at Secular. I want to be a more efficient business because the more efficient I am, better better service i can offer to my clients i want to take control of my technology and control of my platform because i'm disappointed with the way that my clients are treated by third parties and i think i can do a better job and i will back i back advisors every time to win that to win that debate um and then the third bit that that i absolutely love is this concept of by taking more control allowing advisors to be to be truly differentiated from other advisors in the market i think you know, when I was when I was advising myself, we had a really differentiated proposition, or so we felt uh, to the customer. But at the end of the day, the technology in the background was all the same, and it was kind of forced on us by the by one or two decisions that we made. And they came with you know there the core bit of tech that we needed, and then a whole bunch of other things that we didn't necessarily want, but that we paid for. Um, and so the third thing I've been really impressed with is advisors massively driving this kind of concept of we want to pick and choose the best providers every individual part of our business that allow us to bolt together the technology and the processes that we want that reflect who we are. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I suppose this is probably an interesting side point, right? So uh, you know I'm sure you went not talking about this on this on this podcast, but you know, we have our own API. So that's how that's how you access our digital capacity. We have our own portals. Yeah. But actually what I what I love is that advisors have come to us and said, look, we like your portals, but we also like what Money Info are doing. Can we use them? And for me, the answer is absolutely. It's up to advisors to take that control. It's up to them to drive that forward. And if they say, "We love what the Money Info guys are doing. We prefer what they're doing to what you're doing," in a second, "Go for it! Absolutely, go for it!" Um, it might be that it's Money Info. It might be that it's the business of the future that we don't yet know yet. It could be, could be in five years, there's a hundred providers in this space. The more freedom, the more flexibility, the more advisors will get to be able to sort of t- t- gain more value in their own business through efficiency. Um, and then the more they'll be able to offer that value to the client in terms of a unique experience that matches how they want to deliver advice.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you're right. There's plenty of room for all of us in the market. You know, people want choice and choice is something that comes out all the time when we talk to advice firms to to pick a mix different tools and systems that suit the their business at that point in time and and they change over time don't they and and being agnostic about that and allowing firms that choice is a huge benefit because I'm totally with you on it I don't think one big tech provider can do everything and if they can they certainly can't do it all well um, yeah, and, I think that's
0: the point right is, yeah. is you've got to ask yourself do you fundamentally believe that someone can get everything right their knitting and everything else better than someone whose entire job is focused on that. And if you do, then either that business is the world's greatest business, which it may well be, it could, could <laughs> yeah. happen, um, or and, you know, I think that the way that you, you think about it as well is very interesting. So, you know, like if, you, if you're if you trying to build a business where you're distributing one service well, and then bolting on other marginal opportunities for your business, um, you design it, so it only works with itself, which means yeah. you have to take the, the practice management, you have to take the platform, you have to take the platform, the portals all from one provider. If your fundamental assumption is that the best way to drive change in the market is to focus on being damn good at what you do and working with other people that are really good at those other things, you build your whole system to integrate initially. And that's what we've done at SACL. So absolutely everything in our system can be replaced by another party.
1: Brilliant. And that differentiation is important, too, is because, you know, to some extent, things, you know, just putting a brand on something is, you know, Smarties or fruit pastels, isn't it? If you're if you've got exactly the same yeah. things going on under the bonnet, you know, we all like sweets, but some of us like Smarties more than fruit pastels. But actually, you go a lot further than that in allowing the firms to choose those different technologies, integration through API. Um, And I guess also for some firms that you've got, you know, they can put their own front end on on the platform as well, can't they? As well as the the stuff that you offer, because you use the same API for your own stuff as you do externally.
0: Exactly. And, you know, that comes back to just chatting a little bit about, which is that if your fundamental view is that customers should be able to pick what works best for their business, you design your own business to be at no natural advantage. So if if, if we wanted to guarantee that everyone used our portals, we just build some unique stuff that only worked for them. yeah. And then, and then actually, you know, people just have to pick it. Whereas for me, I think we should try and design systems that are the best in class of what they do. And if they're not, then someone else should come in and compete on that. Until, and you know, obviously, hopefully we will end up with the, the best systems in every area. Obviously, that's the dream. But, um, but there's no point kind of planning for, for a dream until it's reality.
1: And how do you balance that, that against, because with that, you know, with that flexibility um, and that, that approach that you take, that brings challenges for the different requirements that you get coming in from different customers. And what's your approach to how you develop out the, the platform and how you juggle all of those different, you know, firms requirements because they can be so differentiated in their propositions now.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, it, it's something, the, the answer actually is, is honesty. Um, and I know that's going to sound like, well, that's not really the answer to the question, but it is the answer to the challenge. And the, the challenge is that nobody can build everything for everyone. It's, you know, it's not possible. So maybe if you only had one customer, but if you have fifteen, 10,000, 50,000, it's never going to be uh, possible to build everything for everyone. Um, and so what we, what we tend to do is, so we have a single code base and we have one roadmap. Everything we build is available to every customer. Um, and therefore, everything that we build, we're always looking at our aggregate group of customers. So we're never really going to have a, we never have a conversation of we'll build this bespoke for you. It just goes against our ethos. Uh-huh.
1: Um,
0: because by it's twofold. One, you get into a really bad habit where you now actually aren't deciding what's best for all customers, you're deciding what's best for you. Um, and secondly, those three months that you spend building that unique thing that no one else can use, they are three months you're not going to spend building something for your other customers. Absolutely. So what, what we do is we, um, we basically, in the nice way possible, we kind of crowdsource our ideas. So we go out to our advisors that we already have, the platforms that use us. We go out to platforms that, that potentially think about using us as well. And we will sort of talk to them about the things that, that they are looking for that we are currently missing. Mm. some of those things will be really transparent and go that's just not on our agenda to to, to build that in x time frame or in fact quite often ever Mm. Um, and you know particularly if it's niche particularly if it's only got a very limited use case probably just never going to build it and that's when we come back to honesty and i mentioned at the start i know it sounds like kind of a weird answer but that approach only works if you're honest if you Mm. say to people oh join us and we'll do this you're already setting yourself up for a failure unless you are 100% sure that you're going to do that. Yeah. And the only way you can be 100% sure is if it's also something that your clients wanted. So you know, if we go back two years when we were, build, when we were building our fully digital integrated SIP, we were able to speak to every customer and go, would you like a fully digital SIP that uh, takes the data from one part of the system into another and takes you know, five minutes to put someone in drawdown, takes about two minutes to set up. Uh, there's no paper at all. There's one uh, PDF form that you fill out that takes about 10 seconds and then, and then you're done. Nobody came back to us and said, No, don't build that. Please build yeah. a really niche fee structure.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's where I think it gets really powerful is that if you're honest with your customers, and, and frankly, the, the relationships we've got, every firm is really honest with us as well. And I think, you know, not that this is necessarily the format for it, but, but our customers are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, they are really forward thinking in terms of what they're trying to solve. But they're also good at explaining to us what it is they're trying to do, because you know it, it, I don't want us to sort of sit here and suggest that we have all the answers. We, we absolutely don't. Uh, and the way you get to an answer is by talking to and learning from your customers in the same way that they talk and learn to learn from you.
1: And that really resonates with me because you know you've pretty much boilerplate described how we develop out the money info product as well. Exactly the mm. same single code base. You know crowd crowd ideas from our, our clients. And I think your point around how you deal with your clients is so important that transparency in everything that you do not just product development but also in how you support them and you know we don't always get it right do we as tech companies you know sometimes we don't get it right first time but if you're honest and transparent about that i think you you know as advisors want to do with their clients we want to build trust with our clients don't we and and that's something that's perhaps you know in the past in in technology implementations and you know advice firms perhaps haven't had the best experience and i think you know you and I both want to change that and make sure that you know we are honest and transparent and open and, and if we get it wrong we get it wrong or if we miss something we miss something or if we can't do it we we are honest about that because that's how you build build those relationships for the long term don't you
0: yeah hundred percent I think you know so particularly um as we've slightly alluded to so our, our relationship with firms is 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 very different it's actually quite different to just a technology relationship in some areas so in many cases we'll also be doing the regulated client money and custody services for the, for the firm yeah um and that's obviously a, a serious regulatory obligation that we're basically going into we're, we're doing it. we're facing the fca for it um but the firm is very much involved in that in that process so there's almost a part where you kind of have to have the sort of relationship that you would want to have with with a friend yeah um where you can call them up and go because and we will do this right and people do it to, I our clients do it to us and it was always helpful and we do it to them sometimes like right? Why have you done that? <laughs> Why didn't you do it this way? Um, and I think that's, that's the point. You know, we don't, we generally, fortunately, don't have many conversations where people say, this is what I want. You guys have to do it. And, and frankly, those conversations, we don't, we don't choose to progress because um, it is very much, in a way, it's very much like a marriage. You've kind of both got to come to the table, want the same outcome. The outcome is almost always the same, which is we want to provide a better service to our clients at a lower cost um and that as long as you know the end destination then actually and both of you are working towards that then it's going to be it's going to it's going to be hopefully very productive but it's also going to be fun um and it's also going to be uh you know exciting for the teams involved um because they get to see the difference that it makes at the end
1: exactly and for me it's all it is all about the people isn't it technology is you know super great when it when it works well and when it's brilliant but it's it's only as good as the people that are behind it supporting it and 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 working with it and its clients so um yeah that that really resonates resonates with me and it's it's great to hear and i think it's you know it's why we we will work well together dan as Mm. we we bring on more of more of the integration work Um, and what do you think because for me there's there's a there's a gap that that i want to to address at some point because i feel as an industry we've got really good you know, communication between advisor and client. Now there's a lot of digital facing tools out there. We've got good, good stuff happening, you know, in, in platforms. I think there's a, there's a gap between in that communications piece between advice firm and and platform. How do you tackle that more effectively than perhaps some of the older technologies out there? Cause I think there is, a, there's sometimes a bit of a disconnect and you end up with that paper-based process stopping because mm. uh, paperless process, sorry, stopping because there is that, that gap that, at the moment I don't know how well that's filled what are you sort of doing in that sort of space
0: yeah so I think I think it generally comes down to there are two types of communication that platforms. so for example our customers who are platforms so we will power them but our customers are platforms there's generally two communication types that you'll get one is uh, something's on fire it's broken it needs to be fixed Uh, and that could be that the client's made a mistake the advisor might have made a mistake the platform might have made a mistake or actually we as the administrator uh, from custodians it could have made a mistake doesn't matter who's made the mistake and the they just got to make the problem fixed for the client that type of communication i don't think is ever going to be um superseded because actually that is a live client problem and that needs to be resolved the the bulk of the communications that we observed before, so when, when we were octopus before we bought circle um was that actually most platforms spend about 95 percent of their time not doing those urgent issues um but actually triaging communications from advisors or clients yeah that are because the system isn't working or the information's not updated or because something that should have happened hasn't happened and that all comes down to really two things that the technology hasn't worked properly or it's and technology, technology either hasn't done it automatically, or the technology is not easy enough to use and the team doesn't understand it well enough to use it properly. And so you kind of end up with this really bizarre section where the total human capital wasted is the advisors spoken to the client, they speak to their team, the team speaks to their third party platform, that third party platform speaks internally to realize that something is, you know something like paying out an income, which should have just happened automatically hasn't happened. It's mm. four people who've wasted their time on that. So the two big things that we've done around that are, one, we have completely eliminated, there is no paper, the system, it, it's never had any paper, it doesn't produce any, everything is done digitally, live and instantly. So if a payment comes in and it matches, that'll be instantly reconciled by the system. So the question where the client calls up and says, where's my payment? Doesn't happen, because they can just look on their account and see it. The question yeah. where the advisor says, where's my client's payment? Doesn't hurt, it doesn't happen. And the second thing that we've done is we've, we've exposed much more of the information that's normally hidden deep in the you know, dark recesses of systems to the advisor and to the platform. So on our platform, users can go on and see every single transfer that's been instructed through the electronic transfer system, live status, settlement of individual holdings within that. They can go in and edit their own book costs. They can do absolutely everything that they want to do without contacting the platform. And the platform then doesn't have to contact us. So the, the I, I guess to answer your question in the most direct way, the biggest challenge I think our market has is that the systems don't work and therefore people waste loads of time doing things that should be instant. You know, for example, if I am want Halifax and I'm trying to send money to my friend at, on, on TSB, I send it and it works. I never call them up. Yeah, I call them up because <laughs> they're like, oh hang on a second, you're trying to send, you know. £10,000 to this person that you've not sent it to before we want to do a full check. That, that's how it should work. The system should do that. You should have yeah. someone intervene there for really high-impact, high-value events. Simple things like sending payments. I mean, it's incredible that we even have those as a remarkable feature.
1: Because they should be a hygiene factor, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, if a fintech that's been going three minutes can do it,
1: yeah,
0: you know, it is genuinely nuts, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost amazing to, that you can get it wrong.
1: But I guess it's it's the advantage of, of having being able to build newer tech from the ground up and also the maintenance of that technology stack in terms of, you know, not just the the stuff that people see on the front end that you deliver via ro- your roadmap and the tools that they can use, but also what's under the bonnet of the technology mm. and how you maintain that architecture, if you like, and, and future feature proof it is so important isn't it
0: yeah well so as you say the two, two big things i think are one is single code base so every customer is on the same code base the, the benefit there is that you know if there are some providers who have a different code base for each platform so let's say yeah. Mifid 3 comes in uh, or Mifid 10 doesn't really matter that's going to generate x hours of work if you've got a single code base you do that once and everyone's fixed if you have multiple code bases you have to repeat that exact same work all those times over that cost is obviously multiplied by that number of extra hours. The time frame is increased by that number of extra hours. So that's your first. That's your first problem. Yeah. I think the, the second problem is this kind of concept that um, systems in the past have basically been built on the assumption that the world's not going to change. Whereas the reality is that the world is shifting faster than it ha- ever has done. And so if you build everything assuming that it's going to change, you build everything in a modular fashion. That is to say that you basically build lots and lots of little components. Yeah. So, so I like building a house. It's Instead of building it in one brick per wall, you build it in 10,000 bricks per wall. If you have to replace one of the bricks and the house that's got a thousand bricks is simply one brick out, one brick in. Um, in the house with only four bricks, one each the size of a wall, you have to take the whole wall out and put the whole wall back in. Um, and, and that's really the difference. It's almost a philosophical difference. This an element of new technology of course but the main thing for me is philosophy
1: yeah and your ethos and how you you know what you really believe in and how you approach this is so important Yeah, and, and uh, we're coming towards the sort of end of our time so what about what I'm going to ask the, the typical end of podcast question what about the future where do you see this stuff going what what themes are we going to be seeing as as things develop out for you
0: so I think there'll be two two major themes. The first is I think in three years' time, you'll basically the market, the technology providers in the market would have sorted themselves into two categories, those who aren't really adapting and those who have pivoted unless they were already doing it into working towards that future where the advisors are in control. Yeah. So you know we we're already seeing on a very micro scale we've obviously you know, we've got 15 platforms live. We're hoping to have 40 by the end by about 18 months time. Even that is still going to be relatively micro. I mean, at the moment, we look after 63,000 clients. But if we go forward 18 months, we're hoping to be closer to you know, a couple hundred thousand, yeah. to half a million. Um, now, those aren't all advised clients. than the FinTech clients. But for me, the service should be the same. So the fact that you can do instant payments as a FinTech, you should be able to do it as an advisor. So you can. Um, so putting the advisor back in control is going to be the first thing I think that will change a lot. Um, the second thing that I think will change is again on the control side. so i think clients will demand more from the services yeah so it's quite a weird experience if you think about it that like say let's say i used uh, one of the big third party platforms as a customer and i've got a portal i log into and it's, it's kind of clunky and then i'll go off that and absolutely any other system that i use in my life and it'll be much faster seamless not fall over <laughs> I'll be I won't you know the fact that you have to print out an application form sign it and send it in the post and you know four days later someone receives it and processes and that sort of stuff it's just incredible and obviously there are some clients who that works for but they are becoming a minority over time the rest of the world has moved digitally and at the moment at the moment there isn't there isn't some there aren't that many people saying like actually stop comparing yourself to the rest of the industry we're in compare yourself to the industry that the client is in and that's where I think the other change is going to be These clients will ask more from their advisors and their advisors will then effectively be facing the brunt of poor systems in the background that aren't their fault.
1: And I, I absolutely agree. And they already are, you know, it, it is what we all expect outside of this industry. Yeah. We, we expect it in our daily lives. We use it all over the place, don't we? Like
0: imagine I was trying to get an Uber and they asked me to fill out a form, send it into their head office and stand exactly. on outside my house in two weeks' time.
1: Yeah, or we'll set up a Netflix, Netflix subscription. Yeah. Or You know, it, it just wouldn't happen, would it? You know, you know, Love Film was good in its day where they used to post your DVD out, but I think we're a, we're a bit beyond that now. And that's exactly, you know, it's quite a nice analogy for our industry, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's still a little bit love film rather than Netflix right now. But that is changing and, and we're seeing some great stuff happening across the industry, not least with what you guys are doing at seckle Um so Dan, look, that's been brilliant, really insightful and interesting um, for me, and I'm sure for for the listeners to this podcast um too. So um I guess all that's left for me to say is thanks so much for joining me today and um look forward to working with you into the future.
0: Nice Well look, thanks for having me, and um yeah, I look forward
1: to catching up with you soon. You're very welcome. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, guys.
0: The Advisor Tech Unplugged podcast was brought to you by the team at MoneyInfo. For more information, please visit www.moneyinfo.com. Book a discovery call with us to learn how we can help you to deliver a better client experience with your
1: own branded client portal and apps from Apple and Android.